Would you say the two lines of that song with me? Hope has a name. His name is Jesus. Hope has a name. His name is Jesus. Amen. Amen. What a great truth. What a wonderful time of year in so many ways. We, it doesn't matter whether you're at HEB trying to buy milk or whether you're at uh, Walmart trying to get your grandkids' stocking stuffers. Out of the blue can come the message of the hope of the world. On the intercom, the music plays, the news about the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, you can just almost have a little revival breakdown right in the most unusual places, in traffic and in secular places with just the sound of the mention of his name and the story of the, of the greatest news that the human race has ever experienced, that God so loved us even before we had changed, even before we had named Jesus as Savior and Lord. He loved us and he gave his only begotten son so that all those who would believe in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. Amen. Amen. Wonderful time of year in, in many ways, but you know this time of year can also remind us of the places where we're exhausted. Remind us of the places where we are lacking strength and where it can be a challenge to face another series of family meetings or work gatherings or the end of one year and the beginning of another year when there is, um, when there is a depletion within. I want to talk to you this morning. I want you to find your copy of the scripture, your copy of the scripture, and open it to Ephesians, and Ephesians chapter 1, and the theme of things today is finding God help where it matters most, finding God help where it matters most. Now, I need you to just let me do a little imaginary something with you real quick. I need a little help. Would, would, you, would you just imagine with me that this driver has a personality, that this driver somehow is alive, okay? And I'm going to talk to it a minute, and then it's going to talk back to us. Here's what I'm going to say to it. I bought you, driver, because you had been created, you had been designed to perform specific tasks. You had been designed to take this drywall screw and drive it right through sheetrock, drive it right through plywood into a stud, to help me get done what I need to get done. Now, my question to you is, are you going to be able to do what I bought you to do? Are you going to be able to do what you were designed to do? Can I count on you, driver, not to let me down, but to do what I bought you to do? To which the driver could say, I have been designed for those things. I have been created for those things. But sir, what you got to understand is, I was also designed to receive power to do the things that I've been designed to do. Now, if you give me the power, I can do all the things that I need to do. But if I don't have the power, I can't do what I was designed to do. Does somebody know where we're going this morning? Okay, 
born again, washed in the blood, father, husband, husband, created, designed to love his wife as Christ loved the church. Wife, created, designed to respect her husband as she would respect the Lord. A child, designed, fashioned the role of the child to honor the parents so that that child's life would be long and blessed on the earth. A father whose role is to not provoke his children who can be knuckleheads at times because they came from knuckleheaded parents, but to not provoke that child, but to raise that child up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. An employee, a Christian worker working for somebody else is designed and assigned the role of working for the boss man as if that one, this one, was working for Jesus. And then the boss man who knows the Lord, loves Jesus, who's in charge, is assigned the role of Caring for the ones working for him or her, honoring who they are as people, not threatening them, but being a blessing to them because their Savior and his Savior is the same Jesus. Every one of those instances, a husband who is assigned the role of loving his wife as Jesus loved the church. A wife who is assigned the role, the responsibility of respecting her husband as she would respect the Lord. And right on through the list, that's what we are designed for. But folks, unless we have the power, it's not going to happen. We're going to be on our own trying to drive the, drive the screws of child raising, of marriage, of employment, honoring the Lord, doing it somehow in our own strength. And here's what happens. We've got this list of rules. We've got this New Testament list of rules, just like the Old Testament had a, new, had a list of rules. But when we find ourselves with no outside help, and we're supposed to be keeping those rules and living up to those standards on our own, and that's where we're going for as the supply and as the strength. These things can happen. Number one, we get disappointed. We get discouraged. We have the sense of defeat. We have the sense of failure, and then we can end up just giving up on the whole thing. Why? Because we have never been taught that we have never been assigned to fulfill those things in our own strength. But that we are supposed to know that the Lord doesn't expect us to be able to do those things on our own, but he has supplied us with the spirit of the living Jesus who desires to fill us and empower us and strengthen us. But see, here's the problem with some sections of, large sections of the American evangelical church. I don't know how much this is true around the world, but here's how it works. We get a young couple that wants to get married. They come to see the preacher. Do you know Jesus? Yes, I know Jesus. Do you want your home to honor the Lord? Yes, we want our home to honor the Lord. Okay, so here's the date for the marriage, and here's the book of Ephesians. Here's Ephesians chapter 5. Now, this is how you're supposed to live. Get after it. 
without there being one syllable spoken to the context in which the Apostle Paul wrote it, there will not be a husband who is able to love his wife as Christ loved the church or a wife to be able to respect her husband as she would respect the Lord unless there is an enablement by the power of the spirit of the living Jesus inside their hearts. Rules and standards are not powerful enough to guarantee that the ones who are needing to meet those standards and keep those rules will even have the ability to do it. We we somehow have made the mistake in the American church of thinking that a copy of the Scripture is to be a substitute for the personal empowering of the Spirit of the living Jesus. That somehow I don't need the Spirit's help because I've got a marked up Bible. The problem with that is it won't work. And what happens too is that we check out on the reality of the, of, of the, of the life of God and the joy of the Lord because we, we have all this list of rules. It, in, in some senses, it's no different than the Old Testament days where there were rules given, but the scripture would teach us that the law was given in order to drive folks to Jesus, the need for a redeemer, because nobody could keep the law. Well, we shift over into the New Testament age. Folks receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. They're born again in a sense, very true sense. Die, I'm going to go to be with the Lord in heaven. But are living our lives as if it's all up to us. I'm just here to say, folks, there's not a lot of hope in that except heaven Heaven is our hope, but there's no hope from a day-to-day in the places that really count that you're going to get some outside help, and the outside help will be through the empowering of the Spirit of Jesus freshly filling you. That's where the hope comes from, but if that is not even in the equation, if it's just about how many verses I can memorize, how many Bible studies I've been through on discipline and dedication and what a Christian home is supposed to be like and how to raise children in a, in, in, a, in a Christ-like way without there ever being a sense that it'll all fall flat. It'll all, in a sense, dry up. That there'll be a sense of the loss of the joy. It becomes just a drudgery and a duty and I've got to make it happen without the sense that there's something that Jesus really meant when he said, if you're thirsty, come to me. And out of your innermost being, there'll be rivers of living water that will flow through your soul. What's that mean? It means there's going to be fresh life and not a drudgery and a system of rules. There'll be a relationship through which you will come to experience my power, my strength, alive in you, helping you with the things that matter the most to you. Now, I want you to go with me to Ephesians, and we're going to look at three specific places in what may be one of the most practical books in terms of Paul giving assignments as to how the Christian is supposed to live. Just just living within the culture, how our lights are supposed to shine, what we're supposed to stay away from, what we're supposed to pursue. Then down to the practical matters, as we've already mentioned, how husbands and wives and children and employees and bosses are supposed to live. But folks, listen, will you please hear this? Paul never once gives an assignment raises the bar without first establishing where the power to do those things and be those things is supposed to come from. Three specific places as they head up. It's the the introductory statement. It's the basis for which everything else to flow will come from. In three specific places, he's saying the empowering of the Spirit. Ask for the filling of the Spirit. Pray to be filled with the Spirit. Know that the heart of the Lord is to fill his church 
with fresh power, enabling power to be able to do and to be what it is that he's called you to be. Now hold on to this. You're, you're designed. You've been redesigned. You're born again. You're new. That old things passed away. Hallelujah. All things have become new. But that is not saying that just because you've been born again, you have at the time that you were born again experienced all there is to be experienced of the power of God in your life. That his heart is to more and further and deeper and every new experience that you're a match for it because of the power that lives within you. That's the hope. Paul would say, I'm, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not embarrassed by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God to rescue to everyone, anyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Meaning, I know that the power of God upon the cross, through the blood on the cross, has the ability to cancel the debt of sin against anyone who believes, to set the captive free. But he meant more than that. He meant more than that. He knew that the full measure of the gospel, the good news that is ours in Christ, meaning that, that the blood of Jesus cleanses this temple, but makes it fit for the Holy Spirit of Jesus now to come and live inside this temple, our bodies. And that he rescues the Lord by his spirit, continues to rescue us every day from thoughts and choices and things that could come our way that used to just immediately seduce us and pull us away. Now, because of the work of the Spirit alive in us, and it is the work of the Spirit alive in us daily, not just based on something that happened 40 years ago or 10 years ago when you got saved, but the power of the living and present Jesus Christ today, now, here, to be in you, what you need for him to be in order, in order to live up to the standards for which you were created to operate, for the purpose now for which he has designed you to fulfill. All right? Now go, go with me to Ephesians chapter 1. I just want to show this to you. And I, I don't know that there's any more important principle, any more important key to set captives free who today, you know that you're going to heaven. You, you, you know heaven is your home, but you're discouraged because of your own failure. You're discouraged because of your own behavioral choices. Guilty, ashamed, just, just feeling like you just got to give up on the whole thing. Christian marriages have no difference in the statistical results of a Christian marriage versus a marriage that doesn't have any kind of Christian context to it. You know, why is that? What if it is because from the very beginning, it was never told to the groom and to the bride, Jesus loves you, Jesus has a plan for you, Jesus wants to bless your marriage, but young man or sir, every second of your married life, you are going to need to be asking the Lord to fill you with his spirit so that you can love her like Christ loved the church. And young lady, young ma'am, every second of your life to be praying, Lord, fill me, Lord, fill me, Lord, fill me. Lord, fill me to enable you to be able to honor him, respect him as Jesus would the church, as you would the, as you would the Lord Jesus himself. Folks, when, there's, when, when, when we get exhausted and, we, and, and we, 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 we feel like we're a failure, then we want to give up. The, the good news is absolutely give up on yourself. Quickly, run there. Quickly get to the place. I've, I've swung so many times, missed so many balls. I never should have been up to bat. Give up on yourself. But my brother, my sister, don't ever give up on the heart of Jesus and the power of the Spirit to fill you and to enable you to be what you couldn't be if you will ask him to do it. The question, and we want to read this, 
The question is, have you ever as a husband prayed, Lord, fill me with the power of your spirit so that I will be able to love my wife as you want me to? Ma'am, frustrated in your marriage, have you ever prayed? Instead of just God fix him, change him, if the prayer instead would be, Lord, I'm asking you to fill me with your spirit so that I can do what I'm not naturally able to do, and that would be to honor him, respect him. See, the, 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 the thing here is we say, oh, yeah, Holy Spirit, oh, yeah, Holy Spirit, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. But as far as a dependency upon, a reliance upon, we rely more on water coming out of the faucet in our bathroom so we can brush our teeth once or twice a day than we do relying upon the work of the Spirit to fill us and empower us with what we need most. Instead of giving up today, instead of living in the place of just giving up, I can't do it. I want to just ask you to crack open just a little bit of that sad heart and let the shaft of light in through that crack in your heart. What if, what if there was another way to do marriage? What if there was another way to do child raising? What if there was another way to operate in the business realm? What if there was another way to live? And that other way to live is admitting categorically, flat out, I can't do this, Lord. But I'm asking you, right where I stand, in the middle of where I am, I'm asking you to fill me with your spirit and enable me by your power to do what you have designed me to do. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Paul's writing to believers. He's writing to ones who had heard the message of the gospel, the message of Christ. Dying on the cross for their sins, buried, raised again, alive. They had received Jesus into their hearts. And as a result of that, he would say here, you've been sealed. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Nobody can snatch you away. Nobody can take you out of the Father's grip. Heaven is your home. You have a place at the Father's table. Born again, washed in the blood. You've got a new nature now. The Spirit is within you. The Spirit is sealing you. But look what he then does. These are born again, sealed, washed in the blood, names written in the book of life, believers in Jesus. And then Paul continues on in verse 17. I'm praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. He's writing to believers. And this is where we've just missed it, folks, in the American evangelical community in many ways. We've bought the lie that everything that God's going to do with you by his spirit, he does the moment you get saved. And that's all you can expect. He converts you. He brings, puts faith in your heart. You're going to heaven. Your fate is sealed in the best sense. But from here on, dude, you, you just, you got the book. You got the rules. And you are supposed to follow that, those rules on your own. Nothing, nothing, nothing could be farther from the truth. Paul said, you're sealed. Heaven is your home. God is your father. But I'm asking God to do a further work of his spirit in your spirits, in your heart. 
I'm praying that he will give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the true knowledge of him. I'm praying that the eyes of your heart will be flooded with light so that you may know, know in your heart what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. Folks, folks, you can have 50 different Bibles, be able to quote the book of Daniel backwards in Hebrew, and still not know all that the Lord may want to show you by his spirit of wisdom and revelation. This is the writer of Scripture. This is the writer of Scripture writing to believers, not to pagans, not to ones who hadn't been converted, but to ones sealed with the Spirit. (laughs) And he's saying, I'm praying that God will do something for you beyond the work of conversion, beyond the work of sealing, and it is that he'll open the eyes of your heart to show you more things about who he is and about what he's done. Folks, folks, pray that way. Lord, there's more I need to see. There's more that, 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 that I want to know about you. Open my eyes. Then he, he lists these things about Jesus that were true, that the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, put all things in subjection under his feet, the feet of Jesus, and given him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. There is one thing, there's one thing to know in your brain the power of Christ's resurrection. There's one thing to know in your brain and the words that would describe the exaltation of Jesus Christ to the right hand of the Father. But it can be something far more wonderful for you to know that in your heart because the Lord has shown you the splendor of Jesus Christ, has shown you the majesty of his name. When you walk in the light of who he is, when you live your Mondays and Tuesdays, the days of your life in the light of who you freshly now understand he is, you will not be shaken. You won't be rattling with every wind of doctrine, with everything that comes up and everything that threatens and everything that passes by. Because it'll be known in your heart, Jesus has all things placed beneath his feet, and he's been given as head over all things. Folks, in this time of great uncertainty in our nation, this time of great uncertainty around our world in so many different ways, the uncertainty of the virus, will it be solved, will it not, will there be another one, all of those things that we could ask, one of the things that can solve your own angst and settle your own troubled heart is for there to be a fresh revelation of who your Savior is, who your King is, where He is, what's under His feet, what authority He has. And it's not just Him out there. It's Him in here. Christ in me, in you, your hope of glory. Folks, if if your knowledge of Jesus has grown stale. Oh yeah, I know, I know, I've heard it all. You may not use those words, but that's really kind of sometimes how we can respond. Oh yeah, I've heard it. It's time for there to be a fresh and further revelation of who Jesus Christ is to you and alive in you. You can live with the thing of same old, same old, same old for as long as you're content with it. But if somehow there is a troubling and a stirring in your heart Lord, I'm missing something. I've lost something that I once knew. Or I read these verses and there are descriptions of who you are and somehow I'm missing it. I'm not able to embrace it. 
Folks, you're not going to get it just by reading the verses and taking apart the verbs and declining the nouns and trying to get the systematic theology lined up on who Jesus is in the second coming and all the related things. It's a function of his spirit of wisdom and revelation in the true knowledge of him that the eyes of your heart would be flooded with light so that you and I would know the things that he lists here. Well, see, with that in place, then Paul will say, in starting in chapter 4, no, chapter 2, we're still in chapter 1. In chapter 2, here's what he says. And you were dead in your trespasses and in your sins. A part of the work of the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of the Lord is not only for you to have a fresh understanding of who Jesus is, but for it also also to be at work in your heart, a fresh understanding of what God did when he got hold of you. He didn't get some blazing, talented star. The, the, the next edition, the next champion of the voice and the American Idol all wrapped into one on steroids. You know what he got when he got you and me? Someone dead in our trespasses and sin. We had chosen things. We had lived a life that had turned away from the Lord, that had dishonored the Lord, And as a result of that, the spiritual principle is true. The wages of sin is death. We had nothing to offer Jesus Christ when he came and found us. We were no bright and shining star. We we were not going to be any extra star in his crown when he got us. Paul is saying, here's what you need to understand. (laughs) You were graveyard tombstone dead spiritually when Jesus Christ came and began to knock at the door of your heart and inside your heart some way life began to rise up in response to his calling forth of you. You know what that'll do? That'll keep you and me from having our nose up in the air and looking down at everybody down here. Well, I hadn't done that and I hadn't done that, and I hadn't done that. Well, let me just ask you. What does it mean to be dead? In a church, growing up in a Christian home, so to speak, Paul will say this is true of everyone who comes to Christ. Dead in their trespasses and sins. Walk according to the course of this world. You can read that in, in chapter 2, on down through there. But, but, here, here, but look at verse 4. But God, but God, but God, I'm so thankful for the but gods in the scripture. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. When did he start loving us? After I got started, started coming to church? After I got baptized? After I made it right with somebody that I had wronged? Way before that. Way before that. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, when we couldn't give him a thing, you say, well, I've always loved the Lord. No, you haven't. I've always known God. No, you haven't. You may have known about him, but there's no way for there to be signs of spiritual life coming from corpses that have not the ability to love, to obey, to believe, to praise. That is only a function of this God who loves us with a love that we can't even comprehend, older than anything that we could ever imagine for us. It's only a function of his love at work in us that now we're beginning to love him back. Now we're beginning to see enough of him that he's worthy of our faith. He's worthy of our trust. He's worthy of following. But before that happened, before we we were dead in our sins, he raised us up, verse 6, seated us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And then down in verse 10, for we are his workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And I want you to keep in mind that these things that Paul is saying about what we were and about what we are called to are spoken only after he has said the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the true knowledge of God is necessary. The functioning work of the spirit of God showing you things giving you understanding of things. That is the only way that you're going to be able to understand fully who you were, but also fully be able to appreciate what he's called you to. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he created beforehand that we should walk in them. There's a reason you're sucking air, folks. There's a reason they hadn't carried you off to Memorial Cemetery. You're here. You're alive. God's keeping you here. He's positioned you with the people that you know and the talents that he's given you because there are things that he has created ahead of time, good works that you and you alone will participate with him in the doing of. But if I don't see it, if I don't sense it, then how much can be lost of my life? So he's saying, your dreams being fulfilled, the dreams that you chase are a function of the spirit of wisdom and revelation doing a work in you to give you those dreams and to put within you those longings. Okay, okay. Now, that's the first place. The next place in Ephesians where he makes this strong statement about the necessity of the power of the Spirit being freshly released and working in our hearts is in Ephesians chapter 3. After Ephesians chapter 3, from there until the close of the book, basically, the Apostle Paul will give some of the most practical and specific guidelines bar levels for the believer to live in and walk. But if we miss the context, again, if all we do is just read Ephesians chapter 5, and we've, we, we've, never, we've never read, we've never focused on Ephesians chapter 3, we, we've, we've, never, we, we've never realized how important he's saying, unless you're so strengthened in your inner man by the working of the power of the Spirit in your heart, so that Christ is dwelling in your heart. Until that happens, these other things are going to escape your grasp. But once, and this is how he prays in Ephesians 3, you can look at that, that he would grant you, Paul prays, according to the riches of his glory, that you would be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner man. Paul will speak of three parts to the human being, body, soul, and spirit. He will also use this reference. There was an outer man that's in touch with the objective universe, the physical universe, the touch, the sight, the sound, the outer man. But then he also distinguishes the inner man, the inner man. Ties in with how he prayed in Ephesians 1, that the eyes of your heart would be flooded with light. That there was another part of you. Even though your physical person may be situated in various kinds of physical arrangements and settings, there is another part of you, and that is the part that was brought to life when Jesus raised you from the dead and took up his residence in your heart, it is that inner man, that inner woman, that inner person where Jesus dwells, where we meet him, where we, we sense his presence being known. 2 Corinthians 4.16 would say the outer man is perishing, the physical man is perishing, woman is perishing. Look at this. 
but the inner man is being renewed day by day. The inner person, the inner man being renewed day by day. That fits so closely and cleanly with what Paul is saying here. This inner man, this inner, he, he, and, and the word here is that you may be strengthened with might by his spirit in your inner man, the result being so that Christ is dwelling in your heart by faith. That you're being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and breadth and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we would ask or think according to the power that works within us. Okay? The power that works within us. The result of the presence of Jesus being made stronger, felt within our hearts. It's that statement that is made, that principle that is laid out and then he goes into chapter 4. You can't read chapter 4 without also appreciating what came before. And that's what we just read. But look at 4.1. I therefore the present, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Skip over to verse 25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, he's writing to believers, you speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for you are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. Let him who steals, steal no longer, but rather let him labor, performing with his own hands what is good in order that he may have something to share with him who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth. Now, what does that mean? No rotten word. Let no rotten word. Well, I'm just going to tell them what I think. Well, then say that, think that in the light of what God has said that is the higher calling. He doesn't give us carte blanche to just just blister everybody and say whatever is out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. But here he says, let, let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment that it may give grace to those who hear. Instead of rotting them, what is the word that gives grace to the ones who hear? And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Do you see that list of high bar standards? If, you, if you've stolen in your past, quit stealing. If you're prone to open your big mouth and blister people with rotten words, stop it. And on and on and on, okay? Why would he say that? <clears throat> Just to throw up these unreachable, impossible standards if our human nature is unchecked? No. He's saying you're going to be able to live this way. You're going to be able to quit some things that you couldn't quit before. You're going to be able to do some things you've never been able to do before because it is the power of the living Christ alive and operating and giving you his strength to live the life that pleases him. Oh, here, here it is again. Quit talking like that. Quit talking like that. You, you live in a right way. You honor, you do these things. You, you quit stealing. You quit on and 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 on. It's like talking to a driver with no battery. To say that even to Christian people who are not understanding. The only way I'm going to quit some stuff and start the right stuff is some way, somehow, if the Spirit... You say, wait a minute, I got everything I got when I got saved. Then why do you still talk like you talk? 
Why are you still doing what you're doing? Why is the standard so completely beyond your reach? It's because of this. You do this and you wear yourself out, get mad, and want to give up on God. When all, the, all along the Lord is saying, I give you a permission to give up on yourself. I give you permission to understand apart from me, you can't do anything. But with me, there is nothing that you can't do. Huh? Now, folks, the reason I'm doing this stuff is because sometimes we get to thinking, oh, this spiritual stuff is just so nebulous, and I can't really get my finger. The bottom line is he gives you the power to quit, and he gives you the power to start and stay with it. He gives you a no when you haven't had a no, and he gives you a yes when you had not been able to live with a yes. He, by his power, has the ability to do in you what you and I could never do for ourselves. The question is then, have I ever asked him to fill me with his spirit? Have I ever truly accepted the fact that without his strength operating in me, not just latent, embedded in me somewhere, but without his strength operating in me, I can't do anything. I may be able to swing and hit a ball in the outfield one time. I may be able to do something for a little while. I may get around other people who can so guilt trip me into how I need to behave that just under the weight of their influence, I, I behave for a little while. But then I get off by myself, that passes, and I'm back at the same place. I know how I ought to live, Jesus, but I can't do it. If instead of letting that just ruin you and make you want to quit on all things God and all the promises of God, would you let that in as some of the best news, some of the first step in the direction of wholeness and power and a future and a hope that maybe you've ever lived? And I mean not even in marriage. God, I can't do it. God, I can't live up to that. Raising children at work. God, I can't do this. But I'm... I'm you see, here's the question. Have you ever asked? You say, oh, I don't know that God would ever do it. Have you ever asked? Lord, fill me. Lord, fill me with your spirit so that the presence of Christ would be strong and real and fresh in my heart. And I could be aware that I'm in a situation and I'm backed up. The outer man's dealing with stuff out here. The inner man, same body, but the inner man, I'm stepping back into my inner man stepping back and I'm settling in here and I'm listening. I love to hear the stories of businessmen and businesswomen, professionals in various settings, ones at different levels of occupation and types of occupation, home with kids and so forth, who, who will say, Pastor, you've been saying this for a while. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I'm just telling you. Pastor, I feel like he told me something in a business meeting. I was getting chewed out from El Paso to Beaumont, from Amarillo to Kingsville. They were chewing me out up and down, and I felt like I heard the Lord just say, hold it, hold it, hold it. And then when they finished up, of all things, I felt like the Lord said to me, pray for them. You mean pray for the one who has called me every name under the book, has reduced me in their mind to just nothing but, but rubble. Mm -hmm. And they said, Pastor, as I would just, could I just pray for us? The place of humility. It takes two to fight, two to fight, two to fight. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. He would say, as I prayed, I just said, I prayed simple. I prayed. But it was like the atmosphere changed. It was like before we were done. So much had been said in the past, but that wasn't really 
what they were meaning the long term and their right. So the relationship got repaired. And it wasn't about getting the business deal closed, but it was about some eternal soul out there that needs to be saved, that needs to know the love of Jesus, and somehow that good work which you prepared beforehand, Lord, you had me in that spot, and I wouldn't have picked. This is a good work for you to show off in, but that's where it was, and I'm just telling you, you he spoke to me. He impressed me. And I did what he said to do, and I, and I can't believe it. Folks, I hear that again and again. I heard a story this morning just before the early service, a businessman coming in and saying things just like that. He speaks to you in your inner man. He, he, will, he will let you know. But, but those, those places of being chewed out and stomped on and walked away from are there for the very purpose of reminding us of how helpless we are are. If we're already agreeing with that, then that shouldn't come as a big bolt of lightning in a life-shattering situation. They're just confirming what we already know about ourselves, but what they don't know is what we know about the power of Jesus to fill my broken heart, to fill a heart that knows it's weak and knows it needs strength but wants to please the Lord. And then you begin to feel and sense his presence rising up in you. And it won't matter if they ever apologize. It won't matter if the earth or circumstances ever make some big change. You have known that the Lord has met with you. He's made his presence known. He's given you practical help in the things that matter. God Finding God help for things that really matter. We're talking about Family, marriage, kids, business. I want to show you one other thing before we go. And this, this is this third place. Just skip over to chapter 5 and verse 18. Oh, now remember, before Paul ever started saying, here are the things that you need to know and believe about yourself and who God is, he says, I'm praying that God will give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation, this fresh and further work of his spirit in your heart. Then before he starts listing all of the things, the ways in which we need to live, quit talking like that. Quit stealing. You know, don't, go to, don't go to bed angry. You, you, you forgive and so forth. Tenderhearted. Before he lists those things is that massive statement. Here's how I'm praying for you. That God will strengthen you by his spirit in your inner man so that Christ will dwell in your heart. If we just slam into chapter 5, Chapter 4 and chapter 5, without realizing chapter 3 is where the power comes from to be able to do the things in chapter 5 and 6. If we don't get that, then we're headed for disappointment. We're headed for a place of frustration and of anger. We can end up at a place of just checking out on the church, on God, on everything, because our conclusion is, I can't do it, which should have been <laughs> the first conclusion if we had been taught properly. But that, you know... It's like some of us in the church, and many, this concerns me. You remember in Acts 19 when Paul ran into those disciples of John the Baptist? And, and, he, and, and Paul asked them, have you received the Holy Spirit since you've been saved? Their response was, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. I'm afraid that it could be that some of us with marked up Bibles a legacy, a family legacy in the evangelical church, maybe for decades. We wouldn't say, I've never heard of the Holy Spirit, but what we would have to honestly say, I've never asked him to fill me. I've never known of his fresh power in my life. It's as if that term Holy Spirit is an asterisk or a footnote. It's not one of the main things. When the Apostle Paul would say, not one of the main things, are you kidding me? There's no way to live the Christian life. There's no way to be a husband that loves his wife right, or a wife or husband, children honoring parents, and so forth, apart from the fresh, regular, daily, nightly movement and work of the Spirit of the living Jesus in your life and heart. It is not enough to know all the verses on how to raise children or how to have a strong marriage. Information is not the same as impartation. Say that one more time. Information is not 
the same as impartation. The reason the Spirit was given is so that the power described and the truth described in the information can become our active, operative blessing. We are receiving impartation. Okay, this is verse 18, chapter 5. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, that is waste, but be filled with the Spirit. But be filled with the Spirit. Okay, now you skip right down to 22 and you'll see the first word there is wives. Then the first word in 25 is husbands. And then you can work your way on down chapter 6, verse 1, children. And then, and then fathers in verse 4. And then slaves or servants. And then masters or bosses. They're going to come very specific instruction. Here's how a husband or wife supposed to live, as we've mentioned. But before one syllable is spoken to husbands about how they're supposed to live, Paul says to husbands, wives, bosses, children, all of them, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled. The literal rendering that is, allow yourselves continuously to be being filled with the Spirit. It's passive, meaning You can't fill yourself. You can't fill yourself with the Spirit by just reading the Bible and going to Bible studies and going to things that are truth from Scripture. It doesn't hurt you, but it does not have the power necessarily to enable you to be different. In fact, it can result in bringing more condemnation because you know so much But you're left with a sense, I hear all these standards, here is all of who God is, is in holiness, but I can't measure up. The reason that that's such a big deal is because when there is the absence of the understanding who the Spirit of Jesus is and what He has been given to you to do and what He longs to do, if that is lost, then we can be be crushed by the weight of impossible instruction, even in the New Testament. Now, don't laugh. If you hear that as heresy, I'm willing to be challenged on the basis of the Scripture. By the power of the Spirit, Paul, Jesus would say that my words are spirit and they are life. The flesh profits nothing, but the Spirit gives life. The flesh trying to be a Christian husband. The flesh trying to be a Christian wife. Profits nothing. But what if there's a recognition, I've been one big hunk of flesh-filled husband. And Lord, I renounced that. It hadn't worked. It hadn't helped. It's made things worse. But I'm asking you, Lord, by the power of your spirit, I'm asking you to fill me. I can't do it. For him to say, continuously allow yourselves to being filled means that that there is a a way in which we we can stop the Lord. We can prevent the Lord from filling us. One of those ways can be, I don't need it. I don't need it. I got this. I don't need it. And so why should the Lord fill, try to fill something that's not empty? But when there is something that's empty, when there's a place that's empty, and it could be that, that hollow place of your heart where you know I can't do this without you. Instead of there being a resistance to more, more, there is just wide open, Lord, everything you've got, I need. Everything you want to flood into me, I want. Allow yourselves to continually being filled with the Spirit. So he says that to wives from that place of being filled you'll have the ability to honor your husband. Husbands, to love your wives as Christ loved the church. It comes from the place of being filled. I can't tell you over the years how many couples whose marriages were deserts. Oh yeah, they were still together. They had not legally split the sheet. But there was nothing between them. Resentment could crop up at about any time. They were just existing. 
Let's get the kid raised, kids raised. Then you make a decision, do we stay together, do we not? I mean, these are Christian people, marked up Bibles, giving to the church. But the joy was gone. The joy with each other, to each other. It was a desert. And then one of them says, God, I can't do this. I'm not even sure if I want to keep doing this. But Lord, whatever this means right here about being filled with the Spirit such that your Spirit working in me will give me the ability to do what I can't do. I'm asking you for it. Fill me. Fill me, Lord, with your Spirit. So I'm not asking you how much are you praying for your husband or your wife. I'm asking how much are you praying for you. God, change them, fix them, do whatever you got to do in them. Now, that's not the point. They may never get changed. But what if the first place that God wants to do a work is in your heart? Lord, fill me. Fill me. Have you ever prayed to be filled with the Spirit? Some will treat that as just a one-time crisis kind of thing. Nope. If Jesus, here's what Jesus said. If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father who is in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who are asking him, present, active, indicative? Who are asking. Keep asking. Keep asking. Whenever there's a sense of need or shortage or lack, Lord, fill me. Lord, fill me. Lord, fill me. Lord, fill me. So here's a choice. Here's your choice. Saved, designed for greatness, designed to love your wife as Christ loved the church husband. This is you. I mean, you can stack scripture around it. You can tape psalms on it. But there's still no power until this happens. Wife, this is you. Love your husband. Honor your husband. As you would the Lord. Can't do it. I'm out of here checking out. I can't do it. But then you hear something like this today. There's a realization, it dawns, it drops 18 inches, it explodes in your heart. God has never expected you on your own to love that man like he wants you to love him in your own strength. That, that's a false rule. That, that's an expectation that religion may have put upon you, but it's not true. That's why Paul would say, you, you, you be filled. And as a result of you being filled in a practical way in the things that matter the most, you will be able to honor him. Here's your choice. Lord, fill me. How do I get from here to here? It may be the beginning of a prayer that you have never in your Christian life seriously prayed. But it is a prayer that from the very beginning was foundational to the power of the early church. Lord, fill me. I can do all things through him who is giving me strength. There can be a change. There can be a change, a dramatic change today. When you quit wearing yourself out, why can't I do this? Why can't I do this? Why can't I do this? When God all along is saying, you can't without me. You can't without me. But I thought I got everything that I was supposed to get and the only experience I'm going to have with the Holy Spirit at the time that I got saved. Read the Scripture. Prove it from the Scripture. That was not true if you were taught that. That was not true. You were sealed. Christ is in you. You're going to heaven. 
But every one of these prayers that Paul prays were prayed for believers that were desiring to grow in him. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to open your word. And oh, Lord Jesus, would you bless your people with the understanding of your truth. And would you grant to them freedom and joy and even a sense of anticipation and excitement that as I pray this way, Lord, fill me that you will do it that you will do it because it is your heart. It is your design. It has been your design all along. The copies of Scripture were never intended to be a substitute for the power of the Spirit of Jesus at work in our hearts. Forgive us, Lord, for that error. Forgive us for that place of ignorance. Would you bring us back, Lord, into the full focus? It is the Scripture, but it is also the life of your Spirit. Fill us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I've been stirred up all week, getting ready for today, looking forward to this word of hope. I pray you're hearing it as a word of hope. As you've been listening today, those of you who are here but also online, if there was a prayer request, if there's something going on in your life that's bigger than your capacity or ability to fix, the uncertainty of the future is real, very real to you. If you wanted to, if it's in your heart to do, you, Pastor Walker at alamocity.org, a brief description by email of what your prayer request contains. We will take that. We have a team of godly, energized faith-filled intercessors that are taking every one of these email requests that come in and are seriously taking them to the Lord and praying for the Lord's will, the Lord's heart to be done in each of them. Let us hear from you. If we, if we can join you in prayer, please let us hear from you. And, and I just want to say again to the, to the brothers and sisters, wherever you are, all over the place, who are praying with us and praying for us. Folks, our goal has never been to build some giant in-house congregation in San Antonio, Texas. That, that's never been our design. Our heart is, Lord, would you let us feed your sheep? Would you just let us feed your sheep, wherever your sheep are? God, would you give us what they're hungry to hear, what you know we need to have spoken so that your sheep can be fed and strengthened. That's our goal. And as you pray for us to that end, it's happening. And to those of you giving financially who are helping us with that, we, we, again, we, we never have pushed money and we don't plan ever to do that. We're not going to do it. We, we'll go as the Lord gives us ability. And your faithfulness to help financially has been, has been amazing and wonderful. And we pray God will multiply it back in your, into your own hands what you have blessed us with. God bless you. God bless you. Lisa, we're going to sing again right as we, as we go. We're praying for you. We thank God for you. We bless you in the name of Jesus. Pray that prayer. It can change everything. Lord, fill me. Lord, fill me. Lord, fill me. Lord, fill me. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Walker. Thank you all for joining us here at Alamo City Church.